I'm glad you found your way to the Your Vet Wants You to Know podcast for more information about how to care for your pet. The show is designed to be educational and entertaining, but not to give a specific diagnosis or treatment for your animal. That job belongs to your veterinarian who knows your pet and wants to talk to you about what's going on with them. I'm here to be a resource only. Thanks and enjoy the show. As a curious pet owner, have you ever taken to the internet for more information? Maybe you want to know why your pet is itchy and what you can do about it. Maybe you're frustrated about the ear infections. Maybe you're looking for ways to make veterinary care more affordable. Instead of wading through a sea of information that may not be reliable and in some cases may be harmful, here is what your vet wants you to know. I'm Dr. Brittany Lancelotti, board certified veterinary dermatology specialist. Join me to get the information you're looking for to care for your pet. If you're curious about your pet, then your vet wants you to know. Welcome everyone to today's episode of Your Vet Wants You to Know. This is a really, really helpful episode that we've got for you today. We're going to be talking about the World Small Animal Veterinary Association Global Nutrition Guidelines. And with me today, I have Dr. Dan Sue, a veterinary nutritionist, to go over those guidelines and give you some really good tips on how to select a pet food for your pet. Welcome, Dr. Sue. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what your experience is, and why this particular topic is important to you? Sure thing. I'm a board of veterinary nutritionist, and during vet school, I was actually originally wanting to do emergency medicine because I thought it was really fun and exciting, you know, fast-paced, and it still is. However, as time went on, I realized that, hey, I am interested in other things as well, and veterinary nutrition wasn't even a thing that I thought of when I first started vet school. Personally, I love food and human nutrition is also interesting for for me as well. So it kind of blended well together. That's a nice little overlap between the two things. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty fun. So after graduation, I did a general rotating internship and then a specialty internship in nutrition at the University of Missouri and then a residency in uh, clinical nutrition at the University of Tennessee. And now I'm a boarded nutritionist. That's great. And to kind of understand how much training goes into becoming a board-certified veterinary nutritionist, this includes four years of undergraduate study, four years of veterinary school, a year-long rotating internship, a year-long specialty internship, and then another two or three years of a residency just studying nutrition. So this is a lot of training and education and research that goes into actually being able to understand the nutrition requirements of our pets. So we have a real treat having a nutritionist on today with such a great background. So what does your job entail? So as a nutritionist, my job is basically to come up with the best nutrition plan for the dogs and cats that come see me. And they may be healthy pets, they may be sick pets, they may be hospitalized. So the range of nutrition recommendation can be what should I feed on a daily basis for just my pet or 
coming up with assisted feeding plans when they're in the hospital to help support them in their recovery or for those chronic diseases. Uh, what kind of specialty diet do I need to be feeding for you know, my dog's kidney disease, for example, or my diabetic cats, things like that. Perfect. And I know, you know, helping these healthy pets with their long term feeding goals is something that you do on a regular basis. So why do you think it's so important that pet owners have the knowledge to be able to pick a pet food for their pet? Yeah, I think this topic is important because the world of pet food is, in my opinion, pretty big and crazy. And I commonly run into brands that I'm not familiar with, even though I am in this field. It just speaks to just how many options there are out there for the pet owners. And for healthy pets especially, there are so many different pet food brands, and they all have different ways to try to get the pet owner's attention and you know all the snazzy marketing claims on why they are the best, why you should go with them. And it's hard to figure out what would actually be the best for their pet. You know, this show is very much based in evidence-based medicine. What are the benefits and the risks of each decision that we make when we're talking about the health of our pets? And so I think this will be a really good resource for pet owners for looking at what is the science, what is the evidence, and how do we use that to guide our decisions for the animals moving forward? Is there a particular pet or patient that you remember treating or working with as far as trying to figure out the best diet when choosing a pet food? Yeah. One of the pets that I saw during my residency came to me feeding a brand that I was not familiar with, which again happens a lot. And the pet owner was wondering, should we just continue with this? You know, make maybe make some modifications uh, and since I didn't know much about the brand, I told them, sure, I'll, I'll look up the brand. So I did my investigation using the same method that we will be going over today. So I'm not going to mention the brand name, but I went on their website to find out their contact information. And my first impression of the website was that it looked great. You know, plenty of pictures of happy dogs with their happy owners, and uh, obviously a lot of positive reviews and testimonials. So I found their contact info and called them and learned a lot about the company directly from the company owner. They're a smaller scale company, so I was able to talk to the person. So I asked them things like, okay, how did you come up with the recipes? Uh, What went into the design, quality control, safety, food handling, et cetera, all those kind of things. And they basically told me that the ingredients used in the product were based on whatever the company feel like was healthy and wholesome for dogs. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> okay. yeah, it wasn't based anything on a dog's nutrient requirements, nothing about toxicity levels, anything like that. The food was produced at their kitchen table. Oh like my I gosh. said, they were a very small scale operation. And when I asked about what were the food safety and quality control steps, there was actually a little pause. And then uh, they told me that, well, sometimes they wear gloves when they put the product together. Oh, no. Yeah. And I'm sure they're very well-meaning people. I thank them for their time. However, based on uh, 
what I learned about the company, I told the pet owner that, hey, I do not recommend continuing with these. And, you know, these were things that I could not have learned from just their website and definitely not something that most pet owners would consider. So I think this is a great tool for the pet owners to have on hand when they come across uh, companies that they don't know about. Yeah, so it definitely seems like the company that you looked into spent a lot more time on their website and marketing than they did on actual quality control, safety, making sure that the food was actually formulated for an animal's specific needs and that the food was not going to be contaminated with anything or cause some type of foodborne illness um, during the preparation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, I mean, and there's foods like this everywhere. So it is really important for pet owners to do their homework. And that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. What sort of questions should you be asking when you're deciding on a pet food to feed? And the recommendations that we're going to be talking about come from the World Small Animal Veterinary Association Global Nutrition Committee. I want to start by talking about who they are. Who are they made up of and where do their recommendations come from? So the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, I'm going to abbreviate as WASAVA because it's kind of a mouthful. Mm -hmm. They are a committee made up of more than 200,000 vets from all over the world. And the goal of WASAVA is to advance the health and welfare of pets. And within the organization, there are vets with different specialties and expertise that come together to form different committees and make recommendations to benefit pet health in their respective fields. So nutrition is one of the fields, and that committee makes recommendations that help vets come up with nutrition plans for pets and also help pet owners understand what to focus on when they are choosing their pet's food. Yeah, there are some really, really great resources on their website, not just for pet owners, but for veterinarians as well. So I was spending quite a bit of time um, in preparation for this episode looking through there and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really good. (laughs) So I will have a link to the Wasava Global Nutrition Committee on the show notes and on the webpage for people to take a look at. But there's one document in particular that we're going to be talking about today, and that one is the Wasava Global Nutrition Committee Guidelines on selecting pet foods. I'd love for you to kind of break this down for pet owners. According to these recommendations, when you're choosing a dog food brand, what questions should a pet owner ask to avoid getting misguided by all the marketing that these pet food companies do in order to get people to buy their products? Sure. Yeah, let's tackle this. The first set of questions in what to look for in a brand is number one, do they employ a nutritionist? And the Wasaba guide is also helpful because they provide some responses that the companies may provide that can help you determine whether their responses are what you should be looking for. Because nutritionist is kind of a broad term, for example. Mm-hmm. And what does it really mean? Should you be taking the company's answer as, oh yeah, they say they do or whatever qualification they provide is this acceptable for me i'm not sure so wasava is helpful in that they give you some recommended responses 
So yeah, so they break down uh, what is the definition of a nutritionist. Right. They want yeah. someone who has those really in-depth qualifications like you have, or someone who has gone on to get a PhD in animal nutrition, but somebody who has spent years and years and years studying nutrition, not somebody that just taken you know a certification course or something. This is a, an actual expert in the field. Yeah. So like you said, Appropriate qualifications are either a PhD in animal nutrition or board certification by the American College of Veterinary Nutrition. So that's the ACVN. Uh, there's also a European equivalent, which is the European College of Veterinary Comparative Nutrition. So that's ECVCN. And if the company can also provide the nutritionist's name, qualifications, and employment status, that would be great. Because usually companies that follow these guidelines or fulfill these guidelines, they're very proud of, hey, we work with a nutritionist. This is who they are. These are their qualifications. And there's usually nothing to hide. There are also companies that they do work with a nutritionist, just whether it's on a full-time or a consultant basis. And partially it's because, I mean, there's not that many board of nutritionists out there. So you may not have the ability to have someone full-time and there's nothing wrong with consultants either but keep in mind that consultants may have limited influence and limited time compared to a full-time staff nutritionist right so ideally we're looking for companies that nutrition is their top priority and that's evidenced by having these experts on staff that's right and then the next question is who formulates the diet Are the recipes developed by an experienced pet food formulator? Recipe development is pretty complex, right? You need to know about nutrition, obviously, but also about raw materials and processing. There are different members on a development team that, you know, in addition to a nutritionist, they may have a food scientist that is familiar with how ingredients are going to work together, how the final products are going to end up effective and safe, especially when it comes to uh, different forms of food. It's pretty straightforward when you deal with like a fresh food model or like a homemade style model where you put cooked ingredients together and not transform them into a different form versus if you put all those ingredients together and it gets turned into uh, dry food or canned food. So there are different processes and different expertise is required. And then the next question is, what is the quality control process for ingredients in the finished products? Right, And this is a very important question because in addition to the nutrients being correct, you want the products to be safe at the end. Manufacturers of the pet food should have definitely appropriate and adequate quality control to ensure that pet owners and the pets using this product are safe. So this should include ingredient validation. So, you know, certificate of analysis of ingredients that come in, testing results, checking the ingredients are free of bacterial contamination, free of foreign objects, things like that. Final diet nutrient analysis. So for example, after the food is made, the company should send it into a lab to see that, hey, what I intended to be in the food is all in there and the nutrient levels are where we want them to be. And also 
regular testing for bacteriology, toxicology, shelf life testing, etc. Just to make sure that, hey, what we're saying that we're making here, it is safe and it is what we intend to sell. Yeah, so there should be testing along the way, not just, you know, what are we putting into the food, but how this food is being changed as it's being processed, and then what's happened to the food at the end before it goes out to the consumer. One of the companies that I work with on a regular basis for animals with food allergies, I love the fact that they are very transparent about testing each batch of food after it's finished to make sure that there's no contamination from other possible proteins in that food, because that's something that could really cause harm to some of my severely food allergic patients. And that's not something that they have to do. It's something that they do because they want to hold themselves to this highest standard of nutrition and highest standard of safety for their food. So that's a really good thing to look for in a company is that they are holding themselves to this high quality standard. Yeah, that's definitely right. None of these are required per se, but it is nice that the company is willing to devote resources to ensure that their products are effective and safe. What about companies that are involved in research? Is that something that a pet food company has to be involved with? Yeah, so that's actually a good point. And that is the next question on the Wasaba guidelines is what kind of product research or nutrition studies have been conducted? Uh, Is it published in peer-reviewed journals? Pet food companies, to be clear, are not required to conduct or sponsor nutritional research in order to make and sell a food. When they do, it shows that what we're saying this diet does, you know, it does, right? Because we've done studies on it. Uh, And it also shows that, hey, they are willing to devote extra resources to commit to animal health and wellness, contribute to the field of nutrition so we can gain more knowledge. So not so much required, but it's a nice thing to have. So these are all questions that the pet owner can contact the company and ask them about. But what if they're just in the store and they're browsing through the aisles of pet foods and they're just looking at the label? What are some things that they can use to make an educated decision when they're selecting a food? Yeah. So on the labels themselves, there is a nutrition adequacy statement, which tells the pet owner that hey, is this a complete diet or is this meant for either like a treat or meant for some other uses? For example, if it says this is basically the diet that your dog or cat should be on as its main meal, it will have a statement saying it's for maintenance. And if it is intended to be a treat or if it is a veterinary diet that is meant to address things like kidney disease, liver disease, etc., where it's not meant to be a complete and balanced diet, then it may carry the statement saying it is for short-term or intermittent feeding or complementary feeding. And so anything that's labeled short-term, intermittent, or complementary, it's not what you want the main calories to come from. It's something that can be given as just like a little special bonus. Is that kind of the correct interpretation? For a healthy animal, yes. If your dog or cat has special needs, 
for example, if they have kidney disease, there are certain nutrients that we want to restrict. Those diets naturally are not complete and balanced, but they are intended to be fed long term for those kind of pets. So even though those diets will carry the term intermittent to short term feeding only, they can be used long term for those pets that have the special needs. So that's something where if you have an animal with a specific disease process or medical condition, it would be a great idea to reach out to your family veterinarian or a veterinary nutritionist to ask them, what exactly should you be looking for uh, on the label for your specific animal? Yeah, that's right. And there's also different stages of life. So for example, if you have a puppy, you would want to find a food that says, this diet is intended for growth. And same thing obviously applies to kittens. You want to make sure it's intended for growth. There are also diets that are meant for pregnant or lactating animals because they have increased nutritional requirements, you know, in those stages of life. So those will be statements that are on the diet as well. But for the most part, the majority of owners are looking for maintenance diets for their dog or cat. Yeah, definitely. Those pregnant and lactating animals are going to have more nutritional needs than regular animals. I can remember immediately after having both of my kids, I did not do anything except eat constantly. Yeah. (laughs) Because my caloric requirements were through the roof when I was taking care of those little uh, babies. (laughs) The most physically demanding (laughs) stage of life is, is that part. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, tell us a little bit about this label that you'll see on pet foods, the AFCO formulation. What does that mean? What does that tell pet owners if they see AFCO on the pet food label? AFCO is the body that sets nutritional requirements or recommendations for dogs and cats in the U.S., They're not a governing body or anything like that, so they don't enforce the rules, but they make recommendations for, you know, a healthy, regular dog or cat. These are the nutrients that should be met in the food, and they also set nutrient levels that should not be exceeded in certain nutrients. So these complete and balanced formulated to AFCO requirements or AFCO recommendations or AFCO feeding trials meant that, hey, we followed AFCO's guidelines to create this food. Great. So if a company has gone the lengths to make sure that their food meets those guidelines, that's something that the pet owner can be a little bit more reassured that they're taking the nutritional needs of the pet seriously. Yeah, that's right. What about this obesity epidemic in pets across the country? What's something that they can look for on the label to help make sure that their animal maintains a healthy weight? As of now, uh, and this started a few years ago, the caloric information of pet food needs to be on the food label. Believe it or not, this used to not be a thing. And uh, a lot of vet nutritionists and vets fought very hard for it to have it be legally required on the label, which helps a lot. 
Yeah, that's always something that I'll give to pet owners if I'm worried about an animal being obese or overweight. There's a really helpful tool. The Pet Nutrition Alliance website has a a really awesome calorie calculator that's great for veterinarians to be able to put in the animal's body condition score, what their weight is right now, and they very quickly tell you what the ideal weight should approximately be and then how many calories per day you should approximately feed that animal to get to that weight. So I'll equip pet owners with the calories that I would like the animal to be eating. And then they can quickly look on that bag of food or can of food and see how many calories are in each cup of kibble or each can of food and make sure that they're staying within that caloric requirement. So that's a really great way of making sure that the animal's maintaining a healthy weight when they're eating that food for maintenance. Yeah, definitely. And that's where the calorie information on the bag itself really helps, right? Because you can't figure that out if you don't have that information. And a lot of the times, pet owners will just go from, oh, Fluffy eats one cup of his current diet right now. So this new food, I'm going to continue feeding one cup a day without realizing that, hey, maybe the previous diet was 300 calories per cup. But then this new one is a lot more calorically dense and it is now, you know, maybe 400 to 500 calories per cup or something like that. And then feel like, oh, how come he gained weight with, you know, while eating the same amount? Yeah, each food is different in how many calories there are per cup. So, you know, if you're feeding an animal a cup of lettuce, if you replace that cup of lettuce with a cup of quarter pounders, you're going to have a much more calorically dense meal. So it's always important to look at the calories on the label and see how much you're actually giving instead of just using the volume of food as a measurement for you. What else should a pet owner be looking for on the label? Are there any other things that would be helpful for them? Yeah, so some basic info that honestly should be on every one of these labels. Uh, So does the company provide immediate contact information such as phone number or email address? And the goal for that is, you know, it should be very easy to reach the company representatives for questions that you have on the product. And also who makes the food? So the companies themselves, they make their own food or it could be they are distributing something that's made by a third party manufacturer. And there's nothing wrong with not having your own facilities and having a reputable co-packer make your product. It's just more information for you to have. And also, you know, when you own your own product line and manufacturing line, you naturally have more control over what's going on in the food making process. So that's just something to think about. And you look for that by seeing if the food is made by a certain company or made for or distributed by a certain company. Right. That wouldn't necessarily stop a pet owner from feeding that particular diet, but it's just more information when making that decision. Is this the right food for my pet? Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of overhead that is required to have your own line and not everyone has the resources to do that. So Mm -hmm. uh, I personally would not fault the company if they don't own their own production, but it is just more information. Sure. So we talked a lot about how to select a pet food. What are some of the big takeaway points that you want pet owners to remember when they finally go through this process of figuring out what to feed their pet? 
Yeah, so my big takeaway points when selecting a food for your pet, definitely make sure to dive deeper than just what the marketing material and the packaging say and to make an informed decision based on the responses that the company provides to you know the wasawa guidelines list of questions and discuss them with your vet and this is a great tool for both the vet and the pet owners to learn more about the brands out there like i said there's just so many brands out there it is hard to know them all so if you are interested in a new product this is a good guideline for you to walk through yeah, and I think that's a really important point is that every pet is different and having that relationship with a family veterinarian or a veterinary nutritionist to help guide your decision-making process and have that conversation about what your individual pet's needs are is going to be really helpful for making sure that it's the best decision for that individual animal. Definitely. So we'll have a link for the Wasava Global Nutrition Toolkit, as well as these guidelines on selecting pet foods available in the show notes, as well as on the webpage for today's episode. And, you know, a lot of family veterinarians are comfortable working with pet owners to figure out what the animal needs for healthy feeding. But there's a link to find a veterinary nutritionist near you on the Your Vet Wants You to Know website underneath the resources tab. That'll take you to the American College of Veterinary Nutrition website, and you can look for a diplomat in their directory there. I like to end each episode with a segment called Scratching the Itch. And this is a short segment that will highlight something, either a human interest story, a product, a website, just anything that provides relief or makes you feel good, hence scratching the itch. And so, Dr. Sue, I was wondering if you had something that scratched the itch for our listeners today. Yeah. So I personally am a big fan of learning just in general about random things. I like going to trivia and things like that. So just random facts really uh, intrigue me. And one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is uh, it's called Stuff You Should Know. Mm-hmm. And they, I know they're already a popular one and they don't really need any more advertising from me, but <laughs> they're really fun. And each episode covers just a random topic. It can be something about elephants, this one episode, and then the next episode will be on the sun or any random topic that they can come up with. And I really like the podcast because, you know, besides the interesting tidbits that I learned, the hosts are also very down to earth and relatable. They're very nice people. And it really helped me a lot when I was commuting during our clinical years, driving from one location to another, stuck in traffic to mm-hmm. have something fun to listen to instead of the radio that just keeps repeating the same songs. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so this was a really big lifesaver and entertainment source for me. Yeah, I like that podcast, too. My husband listens to it quite yeah, a bit. It's, it's a um, I'm a big fan of their sister podcast, The Stuff You Missed in History Class. Yeah, That's really fun. They're different hosts, but kind of along the same lines, but it's all history based. So they'll mm-hmm. talk about different events or different people and just really fascinating stories that you wouldn't think because they're kind of less well known than the major historical events that you learn about uh, on a regular basis. So it's a great recommendation. Stuff You Should Know and Stuff You Missed in History Class. Yeah, I love both of those. 
Dr. Sue, thank you so much for coming on and talking to pet owners today about how to pick a pet food for their animal. I hope people found some value in this episode and will use that uh, information and those resources to go through and ask the questions that they want answers to and kind of help guide their decision making so that they can improve the lives of their pets and help them live happy, healthy lives. Thank you very much, Dr. Sue. No, thank you so much for having me and letting me share this information. And for everyone listening today, I look forward to your next visit with Your Vet Wants You to Know. <laughs>